Welcome to the Avail Podcast, where we dig deep and talk about the art of leadership. My name is Virgil Sierra, and today we have the honor of sitting down with Michael S. Carlton. Michael is the founding pastor of Bloom Church in Branson, Missouri, the founder of Cultivate Churches, and an accomplished author. Today, Michael will talk about his new book release, Who Am I?, and equip listeners with powerful biblical principles regarding their identity in Christ. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Avail podcast. I got my background music going, and we're about to get into another conversation with an amazing leader. He's a pastor. He's a leader. He's an author. He's doing great things for the Lord and for the community. It is a privilege to have Michael S. Carlton with us on the Avail podcast. Pastor Michael, thanks for being here. How do you feel right now on the Avail podcast? I feel wonderful, and I'm even... uh... Better off because I get to hang out with you for a little while. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, I want to. I want to jump into this conversation. And before before we get into the the heart of it, which is obviously uh, your new book, "Who Am I?" How I was raised was not who I was created to be. And we're going to tie this all into leadership and all that. Before we do that, can you just share a little bit about yourself so our avail audience can get to know Michael S. Carlton? Yeah, I am uh, a pastor of a wonderful church, founding pastor of Bloom Church out of Branson, Missouri. We are the quintessential church plant. We will be 10 next year, which is a huge milestone. And we've been just having a blast growing and seeing a lot of people come to know Jesus. I also have the wonderful opportunity of coaching uh, pastors all over the country. I work with Pastor Scott Wilson. I'm a coach with his organization, Ready, Set, Grow. Um, also help church planners and develop a lot of cur- curriculum. I just love helping, pouring into people, pouring into churches and pastors and leaders. It's just my favorite thing in the world to do. That's just the cherry on the you know top for everything else I get to do in life. I love it. So it's Bloom Church in Branson, and it's also that's right. I know that also cultivate churches is something that's on your heart where you're, where you're coaching, you're doing, you're doing your thing with, with pastor Scott Wilson, which I think is a great blessing. And and you're also helping other churches in in other ways as well. I love, I love your heart, pastor Michael. I love it. Um, And so let's talk about the new baby, right? The new baby is a book. A book is is something that I don't know how many months this one was cooking for, but, but it cooks in you for a while for a season and then boom, it pops out. It's there. Uh, The book is who am I, how I was raised was not who I was created to be. So talk to talk to me. Uh, what was what's the heart behind this book, and what inspired you to write it? Yeah, this book is really based off of my personal life and story of how I was raised. Um, I was raised in a family that was quote, quote unquote dysfunctional. Hmm. And let me be clear: not every family is dysfunctional. <laughs> Only dysfunctional families say every family was dysfunctional. Right. <laughs> But not every family's perfect. Sure. However, growing up in a family, my mother has mental illness. My father was only home about four days a month. Um, and so I was the oldest. I was basically the father, the husband, the leader of the family. Mm. But growing up, I didn't really feel like, you know, coming out of that in my adulthood, I had any issues, mainly because I had a good marriage. I had a good career. On paper, everything looked great. And it wasn't until I started investigating a lot of the character and spiritual aspects of my life on a deeper level that things started really coming Mm -hmm. to the surface. I was at a retreat, uh, and it was a retreat about 
helping church planners actually. Um, and it was about fathering and mothering church planners. Mm. And it was actually with pastor Scott Wilson's when it first came up and pastor Scott starts sharing his story about his father's relationship and some of the wounds he had growing up. And he had a good father, but not a perfect father. Mm -hmm. And I remember he goes around, starts asking everybody to share their story. And everybody starts sharing their story. And I'm the last one to go. And I remember as everybody starts going around, I go, my life is not like any of these hmm. couples' lives. My like, I, my life is not experienced what they've experienced family. I remember when it got to me, I stopped and I go, I don't know how to be a father because I don't even know how to be a son. Wow. And that was kind of like the pivotal moment of realizing I had a lot of wounds that I had been burying. And your identity is everything. Like you can't live beyond the identity you embrace. And more importantly, you can't lead beyond the identity you embrace. You will literally kind of get into what you've always known. And what I didn't realize is a lot of us and every single one of us do this is we develop these defense mechanisms or these survival modes is how we kind of survive. And in the old days, you, you did that with your natural ailments. But a lot of times we do that in our emotional ailments mm -hmm. where we learn as children how to survive the environments we're placed in. And then as we grow up, subconsciously, we live out of that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of emotional issues. I, I never knew how to have mentors in my life. I never knew how to have uh, father figures in my life. I n was very struggled with empathy with people or compassion because in my mind, hey, if you went through what I went through, you could do with anything. <laughs> and it caused me to suffer a lot even in my marriage in the fact that I can never relate on that deeper level with my wife. Yeah. It caused me to suffer as a father with my children on how to father them with a father's heart and the way I led my staff emotionally. And I'm, I'm great at goals, great at systems. That father relational aspect was really missing. And so as I started that journey of discovering some of those things in myself, that's where the book was was really formed, was really kind of going through the healing process in my life over a several-year period that really the message kind of became forming in my life. Yeah, that's good. I I, I can't help but think so many people um, can relate with this idea of, man, I, I maybe I'm not as good as I thought as I was or I would yeah. be, and maybe there's some things I need to deal with. Um, so so I, I love that, especially with the kind of the heart is identity, right? The heart of this mm -hmm. message of this book. That's right. um, you, you get pretty vulnerable in the book. You open up about some of the difficulties from your youth and how those affected your adulthood. I mean, you mentioned right now a few relationships. Um, maybe can yeah. you just maybe mention a, a couple of those and examples so people can understand a little bit of what, what Michael Carlton, Michael S. Carlton went through. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the yeah. way, today you're, well, meeting, you're a pastor. I am a pastor and, and God has such a beautiful gift of taking imperfect people yeah. and weaving them towards, mm. you know, who he wants them to be because that's the greatness of the redemption of God. And, and I like to preface this, my parents were leading out of pain and living out of pain they went through. So mm. no one is perfect and it's no, and no one came from a perfect place. It's, it's what we do with those imperfections that matter, but we also yep. look at everything and it's easy to get into a victim mentality and look very negatively at people that have hurt you. Yeah. But we have to realize we're all imperfect pe people chasing after a perfect gospel. And so- yep. The story I tell is mainly how I came out of that in a healthy way, not looking back in a negative way. But, you know, I remember as far as I can grow up, it was just common. You know, my mom always told me 
my whole life, my dad didn't claim me till I was three, um, that he didn't believe I was his kid and didn't believe um, that uh, none of his family believed that I was his kid. And I don't know why you would tell a child that, but she always told me that. That was always kind of a normal story. It was kind of a running joke. And it was always also a running joke that um, I was an accident. I was I was the pill baby. That was kind of it. You know, mm. I wasn't supposed to happen. I was the pill baby. And that does a lot to you when you're a kid, right? You grow up thinking yeah. nobody wanted you and that you weren't desired. And then when you find out your father didn't want to claim you and then you find out your mother didn't really want you, it plays a lot into your psychological psyche, right? It just messes with you. And so you always mm-hmm. feel like you're proving yourself. You're always feeling like you have to win people over. And on top mm-hmm. of that, we moved a lot. We moved. I went to 12 different schools growing up. And so everywhere I went, I was the new kid. Everywhere I went, I had to prove myself to a whole new group of people. And so mm-hmm. I always had this conflicting wounds of never feeling like I was good enough in life. And I think that deals with a lot of people. I think a lot of people feel like they don't, they don't va- have value. They don't count. They have to prove that they're good enough, right? Dallas Willard makes mm-hmm. a, a statement that he says, we're built to count as water's meant to run downhill, right? It's it just how mm-hmm. natural it is. That's what we're meant to. But I think a lot of us never feel that. I think we feel like that's not the reality. And so I dealt with a lot of those insecurities. And then on top of that, I, I had a lot of pressure and responsibilities put on me because my dad wasn't home. I was the man of the house. I remember mm-hmm. early on, my dad told me, you're the man of the house. And my mom deals with a lot of mental struggles where she has this mentality that the whole world's out to get her. And everybody's, everybody's, everybody's against her, everybody. And she has borderline personality disorder. And so I took a lot of that weight. That was my weight to bear. I'm the one she cried to. I'm the one that handled all the responsibilities of being a man around the house. And I'm the one that basically parented my brothers and sisters who were younger than me. Um, Mm. And so when you feel like you're never good enough in your parents' eyes, you feel like you're always trying to prove yourself a new group of people, and then you have unrealistic expectations placed on you because you're a child just trying to learn how to be a child, but you're placed into adult situations, it wears you down to the point where you are always trying to prove yourself good. That carried into my adulthood. Mm. I always felt like I could never grow my church big enough. I could never be financially rich enough. I could yeah. never be successful. I always felt like I had to prove to people I'm worthy of having a relationship with me. I'm worthy hmm. of you wanting me in your life. I'm worthy of that. And that's a never-ending revolving cycle of disappointment if you live into that zone. Yeah. I think a lot of people live in that zone. Yeah, I, I, th- I think, and I think it's easy to try to hide it. It's easy to try to uh, suppress it. Or to or to pretend or pretend like I'm okay, but deep down, be dealing with this, and and this can happen to you at a, any stage of life, right? This can happen to a person, yeah. and you can, you know, even leaders and pastors, right? Might if if you have things that have not been dealt with, you know, from from your past, this can this can this can limit your progress and and affect your present. At what point did you realize that some of these things from from your upbringing, um? had really affected you and, and what helped you overcome these things in your life? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I mean, 
partly it started coming up when I went to that retreat. That's when I started realizing there's more to what's going on in life right. than what's going through than what than what I want to admit. Secondly, what really started shifting is I started going to therapy. I started talking about things in my life. Yeah. It was at therapy that I really started understanding that it's normal to actually have pain and it's normal to not have a perfect childhood or past and that yeah. it's okay to talk about it, wrestle with it and get over it. As a man, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but I felt like, you know what? I can't, I can't be this wimp. I, you know, I can't, I got to right. just get over it. Suck it up, man mm -hmm. up. Right. You always felt like you just could never just, just get on with life. Right. Be tough. And it yeah. was not a healthy place. Right. The Bible says when we confess to one another, we're healed. Mm -hmm. James, which means there is a power about talking about what you're going through and then speaking about it in a positive light. And it's why a lot of believers are heaven bound forgiven. Cause when you confess to Jesus, you're forgiven. There's that's free. But we go to heaven a lot of times with broken hearts because we don't ever mm. want to talk in an honest way about what we're going through in life. And I started talking about things. Now, here's the crazy thing is I started getting into this honest evaluation of my life. Memories mm -hmm. that I didn't even remember started coming up, like crazy wow. incidents. It, it just started happening. And it's because what happens in your brain, and you know, I'll get a little psycholo you know, psychological on you, is that your brain protects itself. And what it happens is it, it will keep these memories and you'll react out of them in your subconscious, but you're consciously not. And when you start talking about things, it starts releasing them and you start remembering. It's why the devil wants you to live in a closet of shame. Right. It's why he doesn't want you to talk about things. It's why he tells you, don't go to a small group and be honest with people. Don't go to church and be honest. Don't tell anything to your friends, right? They're going to, they're going to judge you. They'll look down on you. Why? Because he knows that those skeletons in your closet feed off of shame. Yeah. They feed off of condemnation. They grow. They're like mold. They grow in the darkness of your life. And when you start speaking, those things start coming. And guess what? Bondages start getting loose and you start talking yep. about things. So a lot of that stuff started happening as I started opening up. And so a lot of these stories that you'll read that are really, really personal and some of them are big deals, like physically being hurt and uh, uh, and abused and, and some experience I had, I mean, completely checked out. I didn't even remember them until I started talking about it and they started coming up in my mind. So through that process of really being honest with myself, I started getting to a place of healing. And then, and then I allowed mentors into my life yep. in a real way, not in a way where I just impressed them enough to, for them to like me, mm -hmm. but I let them just like Mike. I let them love Mike for who Mike is, not mm -hmm. from who the paper and the stats say Mike is. And that really started becoming a healing process for me because I never, I never had that in my life. And I never, I always kind of kept people at arm's length, uh, you know, arm's distance because I was so scared of allowing that in my life. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking of the enemy really is dirty. And, and, yeah. and I think in, in our culture, in our society, even in church, there's this mistaken idea sometimes of, Hey, you don't need to tell anybody anything. You know, you don't, you know, keep it to yourself, just, you know, and, and, and there's something so powerful that, you know, the James 516 reference of, of having the right yeah. people in our lives. Um, right. I just kind of hear you saying, Hey, you had to come to a point where you admitted, maybe, I, maybe I need to deal with some of this stuff. Uh, then right. you said, Hey, 
I'm going to, I'm going to go to counseling because it, being able to talk about this, right. Is mm-hmm. something that's important. And then you mentioned having mentors, having people speaking into your life, which by the way, these are great practical tips for anybody as you're walking through yeah. challenges. Um, I want to, I want to mention that so many times, even as leaders, even as pastors, people who are, you know, who are leading other people, we have to battle and face insecurities in our own lives, right? Um, insecurities yeah. like, am I good enough? Uh, can I really change? Which, by the way, are some of the chapter titles in your book. That's um, right. That's right. Why do you think this, this, this happens? Why do you think this is the just reality that, that as leaders, uh, there's so many insecurities we're dealing with? Well, we live in a fallen world and we live in a world that has the wrong measuring sticks and metrics for success. The world's metric of success is statistics and comparisons. Mm-hmm. Let me show you my stats and then I'll compare them to you. If my stats are better, then I'm better. If my stats are worse, then I'm worse. That's mm-hmm. not heaven's metrics. Heaven's metrics is stewardship and impact. Do you yeah. steward what you're given and do you have an impact with what you're given? Mm-hmm. And most leaders would think you are insulting them. If you called them a two-talent leader, right? they would think that's a slap. Why? Because they're so hardwired to base everything on success on metrics. The two-talent servant is the most important servant in the whole story. The two-talent servant had just one more talent than the guy that said, I don't have enough. I don't have enough mm-hmm. to do anything with my life. I don't have enough to make any difference. I'm just going to bury it and keep what I have. I'm a nobody, nothing. He just had one more than him. And even after he doubled it, didn't even end up with what the guy with five started with. Right. Even when it was multiplied, still didn't even get what the guy had started with. And yet God still gave him the same praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Yet yeah. if we called people, even in the church, pastors are, sometimes we deal with this mostly with our insecurities. Oh, you're a two-talent pastor. How dare you? Hmm. Why? It's because we have the wrong measuring stick. And then we carry that into our relationships. I was um, on a, a golf trip with uh, John Maxwell was hosting several years ago. And I'm a horrible golfer. I'm the worst at it. And Scott, <laughs> Scott tells me, you just got to come. It's going to be fun. I go, Scott, I'm the worst golfer in the world. He goes, we're all bad golfers. We're just going to hang out with buddies. I go, okay, <laughs> we're going to hang out with buddies. All right, let's do it. Okay. So I... So I show up to this big golf event. There's all these golfers here. It's a beautiful event, right? It's a beautiful tent dinner at the night opening. All of a sudden they go, everybody check your phones. You got a text for the, the tea times tomorrow. And I pull up my phone and my name's listed right next to John Maxwell's name. We're teeing off together. And I'm freaking <laughs> out. Because I go, I go to Scott, I go, Scott, they had to get the wrong mic. There's no way John's going to want to play with me, right? <laughs> I'm the worst golfer ever, right? So I'm I'm scared to death, right? And it, <laughs> and it was a wonderful event. I show up. I, I play golf with John. John looks at me. He says about two holes in. He goes, don't worry, Mike. I have plenty of balls. So we're good. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so we play the round. I get back home, and you would think I'd be on clown nine, play golf with John Maxwell. I've been reading his book since I was 18 years old, had lunch with John, just me and two other guys. You would think I'd be on clown nine. I felt like crap. Wow. I looked myself in the mirror. I go, he wasted his time with me. Hmm. He could have spent time with someone of a higher caliber of leader than me. And I start talking to my therapist about this. 
And then I start ranting. I go, you know, and Scott, you know, Scott says nice things about everybody. And I know he always brags about me, but he brags about everybody. And my therapist said something to me that rocked me in my core. He goes, what lie do you have to believe to make those statements true? Hmm. Because for it to be true, it has to always be true. So if John wasted his time with you, it means John Maxwell is a gullible idiot and you got one over on him. Mm -hmm. And if Scott is saying that and you don't believe that's true, what you're saying is Scott's a manipulative liar. Mm. Because for that to be true, it has to be always be true. And so that's always become now a measuring stick in my life. When I let these insecurities or I let this negativity in my life, I ask myself the question, what has to be true to make that thought, that mindset, that belief system true in my life? Because if it's true, it has to always be true. Right. And that tends to what we have to learn to do to measure what we truly understand our security comes from in life. You don't want to miss this month at Avail, or any month for that matter. Why? Because each month, the Avail Online Leadership Series happens. A live call with leaders from around the world who have a passion for God and key leadership insights to impart to you. Interact with authors, pastors, and influencers from every industry. And the best part? It's free. To get registered right now, head over to theartofleadership.com. What are you waiting for? Yeah, I find, man, man, I think this conversation is, I think it's helpful for every leader in every season of their leadership and in every stage in life, but especially, Michael, especially young leaders and young pastors yeah. right now, they need this. Um, as, as, as I think of the, the younger generations and the young leaders, even in our church here in South Florida, uh, and so many of them are are growing up in a world that where, where the insecurities are multiplying would you know would you agree um and what would you add to the fact that young leaders need to hear this message need to understand how important it is to have their I identity mean, I, in the right place and uh, and, and deal with insecurities? Trust, yes 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 and we all as leaders need to right <laughs> and the problem is is we live in such a socially connected world mm-hmm where all we do is get l- literally bombarded with people's highlight reels. Right. People go into their auditoriums and they get the perfect camera person to line up perfectly that shows no empty seats in the whole auditorium. <laughs> and they make sure they take a picture in the 10 or 1030 service. That's always the most busiest. <laughs> and they paint it like that's every single service. And it's just this beautifully manicured photo that makes you feel like I don't measure up. Right. And the problem is two things. One, we know that's people's highlight reels. But number two, growth is never microwaved. Mm -hmm. Never. No one in the word of God, no hero of our faith, had an instant growth. They spent decades chasing after the dreams. And Hebrews even says most of them strive for dreams that they never even received on this earth. And mm-hmm. yet, for some reason, we live in a world that we feel like we get to skip stages and that the growth process is meaningless because it's only the, 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 the rewards and the, and the celebrations, the affirmations. That's the only thing that means anything in worthwhile. And that's such a detrimental place to be in because the greatest growth happens in the process, right? Yep. yep. Joseph would never be second in command of Egypt 
if he didn't learn how to manage an agricultural uh, empire through Potiphar. He would never know how to navigate the royal politics if he didn't spend time in a royal prison. Mm -hmm. He would have never gotten to the place of being where he was at if he didn't go through the stages of growth, which took decades. And so many of us want to kind of shortcut that and miss it. And I did that for many years, for many years. Yeah. I just wanted people just to give me a, a hand up, you know, and, 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 and get me just to a place of success. And mm -hmm. I learned some of the greatest things in my life through the process of life. So 100% young, old. We all need to learn this because it don't get easier when you get older because uh, we still have insecurities, even though we've been doing it for decades. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something that caught something that caught my attention. You said it earlier. I forgot to to mention it, but it, it's possible that some people are going to heaven with a broken heart. Right. So so this, yeah, this right. reality that, you know, that a person can be saved because they've accepted Jesus uh, and recognized him as their personal yeah. Lord and Savior and received that gift. But it's one thing to be saved and it's one thing to be free or healed mm. or whole, right? And, and, uh, and, and I think at the heart of, of your book and at the heart of this message is that reality, right? That, that there's this one aspect, which is, man, Jesus, Jesus loves me. He paid the price for, my, for me to receive um, eternal life. But then there's this idea where it's possible to have eternal life, but not be experiencing abundant life and still carry some of the weights and some of the pain that the world, That's right. you know, has, has put on us. And, and, you know, what, what would you say to a person who feels like, man, I, I just don't think I'm, I don't know if I can ever be free or I don't know if I could ever shake that off. I don't know if I could mm -hmm. ever walk you know, and, and not remember all that pain, so to speak, what, what, would, what kind of hope would you yeah. bring to a person like that? Well, you will always remember your past. Mm -hmm. It will never, ever just go away. And that's okay. It's how you look back and how you move forward is what matters. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what you're going to have to learn to do is frame yourself with a different mindset. A lot of us think, and especially when it comes to relational pain, we think that forgiveness means reconciliation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean reconciliation in all things. It means I'm not carrying bitterness around in my heart, right? Hebrew says that bitterness is like a poisonous root, right? Mm -hmm. And what do they do? It corrupts not just you, but your relationships around you. And what you have to learn to do is start thinking about and reframing how you think and what you believe. I'm the kind of person that I believe words have power. I believe our prayers move mountains, and I believe what it says in Corinthians, we are going to take every negative thought and make it obey Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever I have bitter moments in my life or I have these painful moments, I learn the art of stopping right there and going, no, I'm not a person of bitterness. Mm -hmm. I'm a person of forgiveness. Right. I'm a person of love. I'm a person of peace. And I pray blessings right now. I pray favor over that person. I pray for abundance in their life in the name of Jesus. I know the power of capturing, and that, that word there is violently capturing your thoughts mm -hmm. and making obey, right? I, there's a power of understanding your authority as a That's child it. of God and really claiming it for your life. And so when you walk around defeated, guess what? You will be defeated. 
And when you walk around griping about people all the time, guess what? You're going to attract people to gripe about all the time in life. Mm -hmm. And if you walk around with this idea of speaking things over your life, it will happen, right? Words have power. It's right. It's why what happened when, when Zachariah, I'm going to go on a little tangent here. So go for it. Remember when Zachariah in the in the temple, right? And they said, Hey, guess what? You're going to have the son, your son is going to be John the Baptist. And mm -hmm. he's like, I'm too old. How's it? He's standing in front of an angel. How are you going to be able to do this? Right. <laughs> Dude, you're talking to an angel. How many angels do you ever talk to before? Right. <laughs> but what did the angel do? Quieted his mouth. He muted him. Why? Because he knew this was too important to let him destroy it. Because the prophecies had to be fulfilled. There would be a messenger before the son of Jesus. He muted it until the prophet, because words are that powerful. Words have such a powerful, he's like, I'm, I'm not going to let you ruin this. I'm going to zip your mouth until this happens because we need to have this prophecy fulfilled. That is the same power and authority you walk in in life. You have to speak those things in your life to walk through who you're supposed to be. I'm preaching a little bit. Sorry, that's, my, uh, that's my profession. Preach it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, and I think I think that this is a message that has to be shared and heard with passion because, uh, man, there's major breakthrough that happens when you start to understand this. Um, uh, we're we're kind of headed towards the final stretch here. Um, chapter ten of your book is yeah. is entitled "I Could Have Been Michael Jackson." All right, so I, can right. you unpack that idea because I think it's kind of fun. I'm gonna start singing right now. <laughs> uh, no, actually, uh, it's a play on words, but. Uh, it's kind of a, a crazy story and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up really quick, mm -hmm. but, um, my wife for Christmas got me the ancestry DNA kit and uh, I'd always wanted to do my whole family tree. I didn't know much about my family. And, uh, in January I got the results. It was actually the last day of our church's corporate 21 days of prayer. I was getting ready to go to the prayer service and it was about a couple hours for a prayer service. And I was checking my email and I got the results. And I pull up the results and it starts showing me all my matches. And I see my mom on there and all my mother's family. But who's not on there is my father. And none of my father's family. And it was like immediately this just pit in the core of my stomach. It was like every fear mm. I had my whole life just came true. And I remember like, groaning like my body would physically like like just just it was just groaning and I and I was just I would just start sobbing because I didn't know who I was and all these thoughts that were going through my head I started thinking no wonder he never wanted me no wonder he don't fight for me no wonder he doesn't claim it was all these these thoughts started running through my head and all these insecurities started running back and I remember stopping there and I go no that can't be true because I adopted my children and I love my children. I want my children. I desire my children. And I, and I, and I know that my children are my, my children. They might not be my DNA, but there ain't no denying they're my babies. And it was this moment where I started realizing there was something that I could learn from this, right? Two things. One, I've never been more known in my life than I am right now. Yep. Good. Number two, I'll never be able to relate with my children more than I can right now. All three of my children, they're, they're triplets, all three of them. Um, <laughs> we adopt them all at the same time when they're infants. Wow. But uh, their biological father passed away several years ago. 
And when I started doing research and finding out about my father, uh, I found out who he was. His last name was Jackson, i.e. the title. I could have been Michael Jackson. <laughs> Unfortunately, he passed away in 2005. Hmm. But I'll tell you right now, there is no crazier feeling than when you stare at a picture of a person and for the first time you see yourself. My whole life, I always said, I don't look like my dad. I don't look like my brother and sisters. My whole life, I always thought I was the odd man out or the odd one out. And when you stare at a picture mm-hmm. of someone and realize, that's me. Mm-hmm. It's the craziest. It's sad that I'll never know what his laugh sounds like or know what his personality was or have a conversation with him. But it is reassuring that I was someone's, and most importantly, I'm God's. And that's the beauty, I think, of adoption is the fact that God adopted us, and he don't look at us like illegitimate children. Mm. We are his heirs. And I think when I understood that, it brought a lot of healing and closure. Still trying to wrestle Mm -hmm. with some of it, but it was a shift in my life of understanding a lot of those a lot of those things I wrestled with came to head. It was actually this year. Wow. And so I actually had the whole book was written and I had to go and write that chapter um, before we actually went to print on it because that was a big, big story. So, and I go into a little bit more and there's, there's some really God moments about that story that comes up in the, in the story. And of course, a lot of really personal stories in this whole book. So uh, that of course we didn't talk about today. Yeah. today well, but. That's, that's powerful. Now we understand why you could have been Michael Jackson. That's right. I ain't got the, I ain't got the moves, don't worry, or the rhythm. <laughs> Michael S. Carlton is the author. The book is Who Am I? Um, That's right. For all of our available audience that might be interested in grabbing this or, or gifting it to somebody, uh, how can people get the book? And then also, how can people connect with you, find you and, and uh, online? Yep. Well, you can get it. The book's on anywhere you can get anything online. Amazon, it's all over. Just go Michael S. Carlton. You'll find it. Who am I? Got my big old mug right on the cover of it. So team at Avail did a wonderful job with it. And then all my social medias, everywhere you want to find me, Michael S. Carlton. It's pretty easy. I'm on every social media platform under that name. And even the website's michaelscarlton.com. So it's pretty easy to find me. That's it, everybody. michaelscarlton.com. And on social media platforms, Michael S. Carlton. The book is Who Am I? How I Was Raised Was Not Who I Was Created to Be. I love this conversation, Pastor Michael. And I love your open uh, heart and willingness to just uh, share your stories and and your journey uh, with so many people. I think leaders especially and pastors, ministry leaders are going to are going to be able to glean so much from your book. Um, uh, Before I kind of close things off, I I just want to mention the Avail Journal. The Avail Journal, everybody, it's somewhere where you can get some leadership content that's going to help you along your journey. If you are not yet subscribed, I encourage you to claim your free annual subscription. We'll give you one year for free on us. Go to availjournal.com. Would you agree, Pastor Michael, that having resources will help you along your journey? Come on. Some of my greatest mentors I've never met in life. (laughs) Hey, everybody. AvailJournal.com is where you can access a free annual subscription, one year for free on us of the Avail Journal. comes out quarterly. It is an awesome leadership magazine. Uh, Pastor Michael, this has been an awesome, awesome conversation. Uh, I want to mention um, um, really, really, really 
from the bottom of my heart, thank you for opening up. I, I think that when pastors and leaders are willing to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and open, it helps so many more people, so many more people. And so uh, we're praying here at Avail that this book would reach hearts, that this book would reach leaders, mm-hmm. that this book would make an impact around the world. What's one final thought you want to leave with all of our Avail audience? Hey, uh, hey, God loves you. You count and you have a purpose and you are not a mistake or an accident. Come on, come on. You heard it here from Michael S. Carlton, Pastor Michael, on behalf of Dr. Sam Chand, Martine Van Tilborg, and our whole Avail team, we just want to take a moment to say thank you. We honor you. We thank God for your leadership, and we're excited to see what he's going to do with this book. Come on. Blessed to be here. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Michael S. Carlton, the author of the most recent book, Who Am I? How I Was Raised was not who I was created to be. As always, we're bringing you jewels. We're bringing you gold. We're bringing you encouragement for your leadership journey. Uh, My name is Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church, aka Iglesia Vertical, here in South Florida, where we are one church, two languages, and your host for the Avail podcasts that come out every week with more encouragement and equipping for your leadership journey on behalf of Avail. We can't wait to see you here next time on the Avail podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Avail Podcast with our guest, Michael S. Carlton. You can connect with Michael on social media and by going to michaelscarlton.com. You can also check out his Cultivate Churches podcast. For more leadership resources, check us out at theartofleadership.com. And make sure to claim your free annual subscription of the Avail Journal at availjournal.com. As always, I'm your Avail Media host, Virgil Sierra. Muchas gracias. Thank you for connecting with us to learn the art of leadership here at the Avail Podcast.